At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We live in a culture filled with promises for a better life, deeper satisfaction, and greater purpose, but how do we know which is right? We invite you to join us for Smoke and Mirrors, deciphering truth in a world of truths, where we'll look to scripture to expose the illusions of our culture, and together, hold fast to a better answer, God's. Amen. Well, thank you for singing some pretty powerful sermons over those last few minutes. Wow. Those were truths we desperately need. Man, oh man. Thank you for, for singing that. Eric, Kate, Danny, thank you so much for leading us. Um, just a few things to, I wanted to mention before we dive into the book of Ecclesiastes, if you want to start looking for that. It's another one of the books that maybe you haven't spent a lot of time in, uh, but it's kind of right sort of kind of in the middle of the Bible, um, Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. So if you flip it open right in the middle, you'll probably come to Psalms. And then if you go towards the back, you get eventually to a tiny little book called Ecclesiastes. Anyway, a couple of things I want to mention. First of all, thanks so for oh, probably about the 70% of you that were able to come to the picnic last Sunday. We had a great time. Life groups, thanks for providing a nice spread for us, topping it off with ice box ice cream novelties. That was a blast. Grandpa Bill Stewart, thank you for the incredible bubble thing that you did with the kids. That was amazing, especially when that one picked up that child and took him over to Canada. Still looking for him, but they'll get back sometime. But that was some amazing bubble making. Just a great time to enjoy time together. Uh, I, I hope that you're experiencing that in our Woodside Algonac family, um, that this is a group of people that truly wants to do life together. Uh, we bear one another's burdens. Uh, the life groups are a great way to form those deep relationships with a handful of others, and uh, we care for each other, we celebrate life together, we challenge each other spiritually, and we come together on these Sunday mornings, to, all in a big group, to say, hey... We're in this together, and we're going the same direction, and life is hard, but God is good, and so we can continue to trust Him. Uh, so, so thanks for being a part of our ministry here. As Bill said, we're doing Next Steps 4, and maybe if you haven't even gone to Next Steps, I'll be leading that today. Maybe you've wanted some time just to ask the pastor some questions. Uh, I'd, I'd love to do that. So stick around afterwards. We'll go over to Doc 421, and uh, we'll talk about what it means to belong to a team because that's one aspect of what the church is. We're a team of people working together for the mission of Jesus. Um, but maybe there's some unique aspects of Woodside you'd like to learn about. So that's one thing. The second thing I wanted to mention is maybe when you came in, you noticed building supplies like drywall and metal studs back in the corner. After how many months we've been trying to figure out exactly how we can afford to do this, we're starting tomorrow. Construction is starting on a renovation here. We're super excited about that. Uh, so carpenters will come, and just so you know, maybe next Sunday when you come in, you'll say, I don't see anything. That's because on the other side of this wall, eight feet over, we'll go another wall because we're going to expand about eight feet further just to give us a little more worship center space. So that will happen on the other side of the wall. And then we'll eventually enclose this space. We'll be able to worship here while they finish building out bathrooms and kids' ministry area and offices and things around here. We're safely cocooned into a little worship area here. Um, 
and we'll, we'll be finishing that project. Uh, that we'll, we'll have need of volunteers, so keep your ears open to that. For instance, one of the things is, because we're moving this wall, we've got to tear it down. So that'd be a great thing for us volunteers to do someday. It might be September by the time we get to that part of the project. Um, so just, just be ready. Uh, and then the other thing I wanted to mention is one thing we do need to do here in the next week or two uh, many of you know that have been with us for, for a little while know that we used to rent an office space uh, just down the street. We, um, we vacated that and moved here, but the landlord let us keep our furnishings there. Um, well, he's, he's let us know that his, his grace has ended. <laughs> That's okay. It's his space, and he's been very kind to us. So we need to move that out of there. Um, it's going to be quite a bit... Of stuff, uh, so how can you let me know? You know, if you let Cheryl know back there, wrote, "Human history is the long, terrible story of a man trying to find something other than God that will make him happy." That's the human existence since Adam and Eve in their decision in the garden. It's been a history of humanity trying to find things that will make him happy apart from God. And that's the journey of Ecclesiastes. We're calling this series Smoke and Mirrors, Deciphering Truth in a World of Truths. It's, it's a seeking meaningful life in the midst of a lot of false promises. Smoke and mirrors, we're calling it smoke and mirrors because you'll see a phrase repeated throughout Ecclesiastes of vanity or meaninglessness, emptiness. The Hebrew word is havel. It literally means smoke, Poof, gone. A vapor that appears for a time and then is gone. That's his conclusion as he pursues meaning for life and his conclusion is without God, it's here and it's gone. Okay, let's try this. It's here and it's gone. Just can't find satisfaction. That's his struggle. So that's where we're headed. Let's begin. Ecclesiastes, if you're in your Bible, look at verse 1 with me. The book begins, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. So there's some insight who to, who, who, into who wrote this little letter. It doesn't give his name, but it describes him as the son of David. Most assume that it's probably Solomon. If you've heard of the biblical character of Solomon, you know that he was a man of incredible riches, a man of great wisdom, a man of amazing exploits, as historians and archaeologists tell us. And so it would make sense that here's probably Solomon who had the resources to do a lot of the things we'll see in, in the book of Ecclesiastes, writing his musings. He calls himself the preacher, and that's where we get the word Ecclesiastes. You probably don't use that word much today, Ecclesiastes. It's a Greek word, actually, that means preacher to a gathering. It's one who's delivering a word to a gathering. So his idea as he's writing this is, picture in your mind, here's a person, a wise old sage who experienced a bunch, you've all pulled up a chair, and now he's going to tell you 
about his journey. It's kind of like a um, travel documentary. Have you ever seen one of those? A person goes on a trip and they come back and give you this travel log of their journey. That's kind of the preacher or the teacher telling his story of his journey. Solomon's story is interesting. The book of 1 Kings gives us a glimpse into that. Some of you know this. Bear with me because not everybody does. 1 Kings tells of how David, who was the great king of Israel, had a son, Solomon. As David grew old, he, um, through God's instruction, um, gave the throne to his son, Solomon. And then God came to Solomon very early in his reign and gave Solomon the... um, gave him the ability to choose a blessing from God. God, in essence, says, I will give you whatever you ask for. Now, don't think of a, you know, a genie in a bottle kind of thing and Aladdin's lamp or that kind of thing. God's not devaluing himself to such a way. But as we know, the sovereignty of God, God knew what was in the heart of Solomon. He knew where Solomon would lead. So he came to Solomon and said, whatever you want, I'll grant you your wish. And Solomon gave the very humble response, being a king over this mass of people is too great of a task for me. I desperately need wisdom. Of all the things you could give me, I need wisdom. Whoa, that sounds like a pretty wise choice. And God was so pleased with that He says, you could have asked for riches, you could have asked for honor among all the people, you could have asked for powerful armies, so I'm just going to give you all that, and I'll give you wisdom to rule the people. And for many years, Solomon ruled with great wisdom, and then, like with so many of us, he kind of compromised God's wisdom with his own wisdom, and then he ended badly. And here he is. Maybe, some, some have suggested that this isn't Solomon writing this. Maybe this is a, a couple decades later where some people watched his history and they kind of took on the persona of Solomon and wrote these musings. That's why he doesn't give his name. We don't know. But most scholars are, are pretty tight with this recognition of this is in essence the musings of Solomon, a man of great wisdom. Verse 2, he says, Vanity of vanities, or havel of havel, or emptiness of emptiness, says the preacher. Emptiness of emptiness, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Wow, now there is a way to begin a book. None of it matters. He starts at the very end. And puts it at the beginning. Like Nancy, my wife, she loves to read. She's got scores and scores of books. But if you give her a novel, do you know what chapter she'll read first? She'll read the last one, Phil. She'll read the last chapter just to make sure she knows how it ends before she starts the book. I don't get that. I don't understand. But she says, well, I got to know if I want to read it. It's going to end badly. I don't want to read it. So Solomon apparently writes this letter to Nancy and says, here's how it ends. Here's my conclusion after living my life. Emptiness. Smoke. Smoke. 
In fact, he uses the strongest of superlatives in the Hebrew language. The word smoke doesn't even do justice. The word emptiness doesn't do justice. So he uses the superlative of emptiness of emptiness. Think of emptiness. Now, in that realm of emptiness, there's the worst of emptiness. That's what I'm talking about. So he says, life as I've pursued it was found to be the emptiest of emptiest. It's a wisp of vapor or smoke. So what does he mean? And in fact, here we are in the midst of summer, and so we're talking about meaningless life. Wow, let's go have a picnic. Right? Ah, how is this? Here's, here's the thing. He doesn't seem to be in a real hurry to answer why he thinks it's all meaningless. So it's, it's this journey that he takes us on that doesn't really conclude until chapter 12. Verse 3. He says, So what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? What's it matter? After all we do in our life, what's it matter when we do put our heart into it all, anything we do, under the sun. Now, if you're into underlining your Bible or highlighting in your device or whatever, I would suggest highlighting that phrase, under the sun. It's a phrase that's repeated 30 times in these 12 chapters, 30 times. And it's a poetic expression to express a way of living. It's a qualifier the teacher uses. What he means by under the sun is apart from God. So if you were to write in your margins, what I would do I would suggest is to write under the sun equals apart from God. That will help you understand his musings. So when he says, when I look at everything I did under the sun, hevel of hevel, empty of empty. Everything that I did apart from God, empty, empty, empty. He says when you take God out of things, you're left with time, effort, chance, and meaninglessness. So he poses this question as he begins, as we look at the beginning of chapter 1. He poses this question, and here's where we're going today. What is gained because nature just repeats itself. Creation, nature continues to repeat itself. Why is that? And where is meaning in any of that? Why does nature repeat itself? Here's, here's verse four. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down and then goes to the place where it rises again. The wind blows to the south, it goes to the north, and around and around goes the wind. Its circuit, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea never gets full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. What has been done is what will be done. And there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new 
apart from God. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It's already been done in the ages before us. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Essentially, he says, the world and life just as a hamster wheel. It just goes. There's a crisis in the world. News puts the focus on it. People rush to the aid of the world and maybe help people through that. <sighs> oh, here's another crisis. And so the news reporters run there and they chronicle the, the crisis and people run to the aid and they, they help people in that problem. <sighs> oh, there's another crisis and we run to the world and nothing changes besides crisis repeat. There's a big election. Finally, we've got a candidate we can be proud of. So we fight and we campaign and we, we pray and we hope and help our candidate. He gets elected. Finally, things are going to change. It, it doesn't. But you know what? Oh, two years later, now there's a re-election campaign. Okay, let's run over here. Let's get those signs back out. Let's change the date. Let's vote for him again. And others say... No, not him. We're going to pray for this guy, and so we're going to elect him. And so that person wins. And they say, yes, it's oh, two years later. There's another election. We go, and what happens to our nation? Nothing changes. You felt that? Or is it just Solomon? We move into a new community. Finally. Finally, we get out of the busy, crazy chaos of our former community and move into another community. And it doesn't take long before you realize there's crazy neighbors here, too. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's stresses here, too. They're just kind of different. But the reality is, it's still a world that's spinning, sometimes feels out of control. So what do we do? We jump into good things, so we volunteer, right? And so we, we, we clean up a park. Oh, that looks good. And we think, wow, we take a picture. We put it on the wall. That looks good. What happens three weeks later? Somebody spray paints it. <sighs> Let's go clean the park again. So we go clean the park again, and we realize, oh, the swing broke. So we come back over here. We try to fix the swing again. But there's hungry people. There shouldn't be hungry people in our world. So let's work together and let's solve the, the food insecurities. And so we all work together and we provide this great mass of food for 120 families. And it was like, oh, that is so good. It's so great to have meaning and purpose. A week later, you realize those same people are hungry. The food that you provided, well, they ate it. Because that's what nature does. It just repeats itself. You eat, you burn the fuel. And you're hungry again. Everything under the sun, apart from God, is just this repeated pattern, and nothing seems to change. And Solomon's conclusion is well, then it's empty. Even the good things that I tried to do, it just seems like it's a, on a cycle of repeat. It makes me even forget the victories that we won before. And then it causes me to be kind of cynical about the needs that we're presently facing. 
when you view life and go through life pursuing these ambitions, everything under the sun apart from God. I know there's some people in here in our room today, they're watching on, on, online, that are probably in that place of just kind of deciding, okay, who am I going to follow? What am I, how am I going to live my life? Am I going to pursue God? Or am I going to, there's other options out there. Am I going to go there? The book of Ecclesiastes was written by a man who tried it. He said, there's got to be a better way than, than God. So he tried to find everything that he could possibly find in hope that there would be meaning apart from God. And his conclusion is everything under the sun apart from God is meaningless. When we look at life apart or without centering it on our creator, nothing truly has purpose or value. Even when you think, well, yeah, but it made a difference to that person until the difference you made is now replaced with another crisis. So what's it matter? It's kind of a, kind of a dark perspective, wouldn't you say? Well, here's, here's the reality. In his argument, you can, you can kind of work towards what he sees is the answer. The answer is this, that God is the creator. That looking at the world without acknowledging God as the creator is empty. But when you recognize that God is a creator, you see that he has a plan for the world. God has a plan for his world. That's the biblical story of life. And I know there's a whole battle going on in culture about what's the story? What's our story of our existence? There's a storyline that says, well, it all happened by chance and kind of we're existing here by chance and what you do is kind of by chance. It's all random. So just, you know, you hope for the best. That's one way to live. The scriptures give a whole different type of story. The biblical story starts with the premise that there is a God. In fact, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. Genesis 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God started it all. That's the story of Scripture. That it began with a God who chose in his sovereignty to create a world for his glory. The psalmist renders it in Psalm 104 like this. The Lord laid the beams of his chambers on the water. He made the clouds his chariot. He rides on the winds of, wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds. His ministers a flaming fire. He set the earth on his foundation so they could never be moved. He covered it with the deep as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains. At his rebuke, or your rebuke, they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that they might not again cover the earth. You make springs gush forth in the valleys, they flow between the hills. In other words, it's God. 
all that we see around us, the source of it all, and all this movement is God. That God created the world, he sustained the world, he's managing the world, he's providing, and he, with that provision comes a purpose. The Christian story of scripture that Solomon pushed aside and he said, nope, there's got to be a better story than this. So he pursued a world under the sun, not under God, under the sun. Apart from God, there's got to be meaning apart from him because I don't want to submit myself to this, to this authority. So I want to be authority. I want to decide. So what is life? Where is its meaning? But the Christian story says that there is a God who purposely created the world as a habitation for his image bearers that he created in his image. And he placed them there to rule over his creation so that through creativity and intelligence and free will and intellect and effort that that all centered in a relationship with him, they would tend his world. And the greatest delight as they cared for his world would be their relationship with him because they were the only of all creation that he created to, with the ability to relate personally with the creator. But Adam and Eve tragically chose to find meaning apart from God. He said, this world is for you and me to enjoy. Don't take from that. And they said, oh, then I'm going to take from that because I want to be like you. And so they sought meaning apart from God. And when they did, chaos began to fill the world. But that's not where the story ended. If I was king, if I ruled, I would probably end that story and say, fine, let's see how you do. But that's not what God did. He loved humanity so much that he pursued a plan to redeem it and buy us back to the point where he sent his one and only son into the world to bring us back to him. You sang of that and how Jesus gave his life on the cross. He took upon himself our debt and our punishment so that we could be reunited with God. And because of God's gracious work, he offers to us newness. So Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun Well, no, there's not. You're not going to find anything new under the sun, but you know where you find it? With God, the God who says, I make all things new. The God that says, in Christ, you're a new creation. The Christ that says, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. The Christ that says, and in the end, I will make a new heaven and a new earth. And that's where you'll find the abundance of satisfaction where there's no more curse and no more failure and no more heartache, no more tears, no more death, no more rebellion. All those former things are gone. I make everything new. That's what God says. So he offers us new birth through this new covenant in his blood. He gives us new hope and new progress in our relationship with him. And when, when our life is centered on him, even when we're in the repeated rhythms of life, there's an awe, there's a purpose, and there's a joy that nothing else can provide So as we read Ecclesiastes over these next few weeks, know that it's an invitation to step off that kind of life. 
It's an invitation to all of us to decide, are we going to live under God or are we going to live under the sun? Listen to words of wisdom from the book of Proverbs. In verse, chapter 9, verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. If you live your life based on the foundation, that's, that, on the premise that there is a God, and He is sovereign, sovereignly ruling my life, and I'm accountable to Him, if you live your life in that premise... There's wisdom and knowledge and insight. Chapter 14, verse 23 says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Chapter 19, verse 23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life and whoever has it rests satisfied. Living with that foundational premise that there is a God, He's the creator, He's managing, sustaining, and caring for all of creation and I'm going to live under his rule. Scripture says that's life and satisfaction. So it's time to get off the hamster wheel. It's time to move away from a life that's just coming to church on Sunday and just kind of acknowledging him and then going living your life on Monday. No, it's actually taking all that's true on Sunday and filtering it and, and dripping it all over your Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Fridays and Saturdays and it all. Right, that thought that every day, this is God's day. And he has a purpose, and he has a plan for me. He makes everything new. This is a new opportunity for me to discover all that he has for me. It's a time for me to stop forcing my own plan and follow his. It's a time for me to enjoy the life that he provides despite the challenges that are in our world. It's a time for us to have greater goodness that brings life and joy and fulfillment. Life under the sun, meaningless of meaninglessness, smoke of smoke, emptiness of emptiness. As I think of a life apart from God, I picture a little bit like that, like that candy that sometimes is like a summertime candy. You ever had cotton candy? I, I remember time when I was a kid, we went to Lake Michigan, and they had a concession stand, and me and my brother begged grandma to get us a bag of cotton candy, and we went up there, and we did. She got us cotton candy. I remember bringing that back, and I don't know about you, if you had siblings, or if you, we competed at everything, so one of the things we compete against, when you have something sweet, you'd like be the last one to take a bite. So we had his bag, and so he's eating his, and I'm watching, yeah, he's just going to be gone. I'm going to have a whole bag left. And I can eat it in front of him. So he's, he's just gone. He says, hey, let's go swimming. I said, yeah, I got my whole bag. So I sat on my beach blanket. We went and we played in the water, played the, right in the sun, came back. I'm going to eat my cotton candy in front of my brother. And I came to my bag and it was gone. Because without it being sealed, sitting in that hot sun, it revealed itself as being Smoke and mirrors, <laughs> yes. grains of sugar. And that's what life is for so many people. They work so hard to accumulate. 
They work so hard to do good for others. They work so hard to find meaning in accomplishment, in, in kindness, and even caring for the world. None of those things are bad. As long as you do all those things under the premise that God is in charge, my life is his, and I submit to all that he has for me. How are you going to live? Emptiness or fulfillment? Death or life? It all begins with that premise. There is a God. He formed our world, and I am his. Let's pray. Lord, I, I thank you for giving us the glimpse and the testimony of people that have struggled with things like we have. Thank you, that Lord, that you just didn't throw us into the world and said, you figure it out. You've given us your word, inspired words of people, even failures of people that have said, I tried life without God and found that it's meaningless. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to avoid that empty of emptiness. Lord, I pray that everyone in this room and watching this, this stream, Lord, would, would make that decision in their life that God is the one that has in store all that can fill my life, that he is the source of life. He is the fountain of living water. He is the bread of life. He is the river that flows the streams of life-giving. Lord, may we find in you all that we need as you make yourself available to us. Thank you for your truth. May we follow it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing. Let's sing together of that hope that we have, that all that God has done in the past is just the beginning. He has more in store for us. Let's sing. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.